Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. It's a preference. Mm-hmm. I, pre- I prefer this. I'm like, okay, so why are all your preferences leaning towards what society is telling yes, you to right. say? Hola, welcome back to episode three of Absolutely Not, the podcast dedicated to debunking and exposing all things absolutely incorrect. I'm still your host, Leanna Lupin. On today's episode, I've invited my friend Marquita, who is about to do a phenomenal job tackling whether or not having dating preferences, aka a type, is legitimate when it comes to race, among some other things. I will say that it may be helpful to check out episode two first if you haven't already, as Marquita does respond to a couple of points made there, and part of the purpose of this episode was to respond to some really valid pushback I received. Okay, listos? Vamos. All right, I am here for episode three with Miss Marquita. She is a huge part of the reason I even made a podcast to begin with, because her podcast, Don't Hold Back, is major inspiration for me, so definitely check it out. But hi, Marquita. (laughs) Hi, uh, my name is Marquita, as you said. I do have a podcast, um, and it's called Don't Hold Back, which is actually great um, foreshadowing for what I will do in this conversation. <laughs> yes. um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I currently live in Chicago, but I'm a native New Yorker, um, which influences the majority of my personality. I hate to say that. And yeah, that's me. I'm very excited to be on your podcast. Incredible. Well, thank you for being here. Um, so I just want to dive right into it. Um, I'm really interested in, to hear what femininity means to you, or if you prefer womanhood, I feel like there are differences between those two words, um, or to maybe kind of speak to like which women or femme folks have been foundational to your understanding of your own womanhood. Yeah, I think I can't bring up femininity or womanhood, whichever preferred word without inherently bringing my blackness into it. Um, black women are just like in their own realm within the world (laughs) and the hierarchy of womanhood and what is presented as respectable femininity. And I definitely throughout my life have struggled at times with certain aspects of that, but my, my femininity is directly tied to the fact that I'm a black woman and also directly tied to the fact that I'm a black woman who's dark skinned, who grew up in an urban environment. I grew up in the Bronx. Um, and by nature of that, growing up in a city that makes you grow up faster than a lot of your other counterparts, you have to be way more adept, adept and quick in ways that other kids don't have to if you're just walking to the bus. That definitely aided in my Black womanhood. There's a word for what I'm explaining right now. It's called intersectionality, and it's a framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities might combine to create unique modes of discrimination and privilege. Black feminist scholar Kimberly Williams Crenshaw coined this term in 1989, and she's a Columbia law professor. I just think about some trends that are popular Nowadays, a lot of that stuff was happening when I was young. The big hoop earrings, the gold jewelry, the nameplates. I remember I begged my mom for a gold nameplate. I was like, stop playing me. Like, give me. (laughs) She was not giving it to me. And now you look at all these women like Kim Kardashian and Kylie, all these people, they're constantly wearing like these nameplates and gold jewelry and long nails. And all of that has been very intrinsic to my femininity and my Black womanhood and how I present it. Mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting seeing how Black womanhood is very siloed, but also directly influences beauty standards. Yeah, in the mainstream. That's That's an excellent point. I'm curious then, like, for your own expression of womanhood or of femininity, when you see these things be co-opted into the mainstream, like, does it make you not want to participate in them anymore? Right? Like, Hmm. no like as soon as Kim does it you're like okay well she ruined it so now (laughs) no like Kim is not gonna make me stop wearing braids like Kim doesn't (laughs) doesn't have that kind of power like that's not what's happening um I do think that what I will say is seeing white women use black womanhood without even really acknowledging it it's really interesting because I think a lot of black a lot of white women will be like oh I'm not trying to be like a black woman I'm trying to be like Kim Kardashian or I'm trying to be like Kylie Jenner and not realizing where that's coming from Mm -hmm. um 
I feel like it just makes it makes me feel more affirmed in my blackness at the same time that I'm frustrated. Right. So I've always had long nails, um, just naturally, like my mom, you know, shout out to mom and just the genetics. So I have long nails and I've always loved painting them and having, and a lot of times when I was young, having long nails was something I would get in trouble for, mm-hmm. even though they are my nails. Like I wasn't slapping on acrylics these are the nails that grow out of my body and I would get in trouble for them because they were seen as like me being grown or me trying to be mature and you know once again shout out to my mom she was really good about being like hey why do you want to cut your nails you love your nails and then I would have to say oh well this teacher said I had to Mm -hmm. do this and now that I'm older, recognizing that a lot of that policing, so to speak, of my of the things that I loved about being Black were directly tied to this idea of, oh, that's quote unquote hood. Like those are hood aesthetics, like having the long nails, having the big hoop earrings, you know. And I even saw at times in my own family, people trying to skew against that because we didn't want to feed into it. Mm-hmm. And then nowadays you're seeing you know, Kylie Jenner with the big hoops and the, and the straight backs and the long nails. And you're like, oh, okay, well then I'm gonna keep being me then. Right. Okay. So then within your own family, that's super interesting to me. So within your own family, like, it sounds like your mom was someone who was actively like questioning you when you wanted to stop doing these things. Is that like a fair assessment? And so from a young age, she was like, she was pushing back against whatever, you know, BS you were getting from your teachers or from the outside world. Yes. Yeah. She, she absolutely was. Um, and you know, I always think about a question that got, I remember when we were in college. Clarification here, Marquita went to Barnard and I went to Columbia for undergrad. And so she says when we were in college, because although they are separate institutions with independent administrations, finances, boards, etc., students from both schools use each other's facilities and often take classes at both as well. There is constant overlap in academic, social, and extracurricular settings. This is actually how Marquita and I got to know each other since we ended up in a seminar on the incredible Toni Morrison together. All right, back to Marquita. And I went to um, a Black student organization meeting, BSO for short. Mm -hmm. One of the meetings was like, when did you first realize that, when did you first realize you were Black? I think that was Mm -hmm. the question that was asked. And I remember saying, I don't recognize an age in which in which I recognized that I was Black. Um, I also think my upbringing plays into that. I grew up, once again, in the South Bronx, a predominantly Black and Latinx heavy community. So it, was, it wasn't like I wasn't seeing myself around in other people, but I felt like my mom was doing a lot of things that I couldn't tell at the time, but was to com- combat a lot of the things that came up later on. So giving me books that had to do with Black hair, or only having black dolls in the house. And if someone Mm -hmm. gave me a white doll, she'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) So so things like that, she was actively trying to come up against Mm -hmm. the inevitable pushback I was going to get. And what I will say is there's only so much you can do to push against white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So even though she tried her hardest, I still ended up having to struggle with certain things such as my hair, and my nails, and my skin tone, um, and kind of having to explain that to her, and the difference was that I, once high school came around, the rest of the time, I was in very predominantly white places. Oh, starting in high school. Starting in high school, so then that kind of made me like, oh, okay, this is a little bit different, um, then when I went to high school, which was a predominantly white school in not New York City, because I went to boarding school, then a lot of the experiences that I started to have, while I would talk to my mother about them, I did start to realize that she didn't fully like comprehend what was happening, because I was now in a different environment. And now I was kind of up against all this whiteness in a way that I was not when I was back home in the Bronx. And that's not to say that I wasn't interrogating, you know, attraction and um, certain, you know, norms I saw while I was at home. But I will say that it got exacerbated by going to high school. So then, okay, so you mentioned like attraction. I am really curious about kind of like how that shifted when you went to high school. Mm -hmm. um, And maybe how like your conception of yourself, if at all, if it changed, or if it like, 
you know, further formed as it does when you're in high school and, and you're, you know, exploring and discovering your own sexuality? Like, how did being at that all white school or not all white, but predominantly white school? Yeah. How did that kind of inform your your attraction or your sexuality? Yeah. Um, I'll even go a little bit further back than that. I'll say middle school was honestly the first time. I mean, middle school is just a sucky ass time. It doesn't matter <laughs> where the fuck you live. Like middle Talking to a middle school teacher. I know the hormones. <laughs> Middle school is not it. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I always say, like, if you liked middle school or you were popular in middle school, like, I don't trust you. <laughs> no, like, what were you going through? Yeah, and no. obviously, your life has gone downhill. No shit. Obviously, if you peaked <laughs> in middle school, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's really interesting because while I went to school, middle school in the Bronx, we're predominantly Black and Caribbean and Latinx, you know, kids, the dynamics were still like, oh, I I always tell people, I feel like I encountered colorism before I encountered racism. Hey, Marikita here. Colorism is a global phenomenon in which people with darker skin, often within the same racial group, are mistreated or excluded from the favoritism given to lighter skinned people. I talk a lot about the effects of colorism in regards to dating in this episode, but colorism can also cause longer prison sentences, harsher punishments in school, and job discrimination. Now, back to the episode. Mm. And that while I knew racism existed, you know, I was an avid reader. I really loved history. I was reading all this shit even when I was young. So I knew that it existed, but I hadn't necessarily come up against it. But I definitely encountered colorism. And, you know, now that I'm older, I'm like, colorism is a microcosm of racism. And it's like, okay, but I didn't know that shit at the time. Right, right, right. (laughs) I didn't even know the word was colorism. I just knew that it seems like all the boys liked all the lighter skinned girls. That was what it seemed to be. And I was like, I don't really understand that. And now I look back. I'm, I'm just like, oh shit, we were actually having conversations about that. Like we were 10, 11, 12, 13, and we were talking about that. And it's really interesting the conversations that I had with 12 year old black boys, because lots of shade thrown here. They mirror a lot of conversations that I have with 25, 26 year old black men. Hmm. A lot of the same um, rebuttals I was given when I was young seem to be the same. Interesting. Um, So, you know, I remember there were a few boys that I liked and they would always go for the light-skinned Black girls or, you know, the Latina girls. And they would just be like, oh no, she's the prettiest girl in class, all this stuff. And I've always been someone who has lots of male friends. I'm not one of those girls who's like, I don't have friends with girls. Like, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. I just have always been able to simultaneously have friendships Mm -hmm. with lots of men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, while I was in middle school, I was friends with all of the boys, but I would be like, hey, you seem to only like this girl and you seem to only like this girl. Mm -hmm. And I would hear these boys saying, oh no, like you're the type of girl that I would, you know, marry or that I would want to be like long-term with like, you know mm-hmm. yeah like, where are they now where who are they with now <laughs> I don't know I haven't been checking for none of them <laughs> I haven't been checking for none of them um but a lot of these conversations it was just it was just like no no you're better but it's just I can't like mm-hmm. right now it's like mm-hmm. oh no 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 so it was just these weird these weird conversations are like oh no but I think I think you're pretty but that's really interesting because it makes it, 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 it feels like they then must have intrinsically understood that like what they were doing was wrong or like that they needed to make an excuse for it, you know, because they were like, yeah. I have to like save you and your, and your purity for later for when like I'm ready, which again, that's why I asked like, where are they now? Because it was that, you know, absolute bullshit probably. Um, no, most likely. Yeah. It, it most likely is because, you know, I just think about. I think about a conversation that I had with a boy um, who I do know where he is now and it is with another white woman. (laughs) But I'll never forget, he was dating, quote unquote dating, we're in middle school. He was dating this other dark skin black girl who I really liked. And I was like, oh, she's so pretty. Like, shout out to her. And I also remember, even now looking back, 
she was kind of an exception because she had uh mm. she had lighter eyes I think um so that was the that, eye thing right so that was kind of a thing but she was dark skinned I'm not gonna take that from her right. so I remember him being like oh I really like her but you know I can't like I can't marry her when I get older or have kids with her when I get older because you know I want my kids to look like Jaden Smith and he, was, not- he said that point blank he said that point blank I want my kids to look like Jaden Smith as so, a 12 year 13 year old boy as a 13 year old wow. boy I want my and wait kids- sorry he, he is looks like what does he look like Jaden Smith he is light-skinned I'm not gonna say uh-huh. he looks like Jaden Smith I'm gonna say that he is light-skinned okay so he was huh. like no I, I can't because I want my kids to look like Jaden Smith so I just can't do that long term mm-hmm. so that was I remember being like oh shit like you're 13 and you are already being yeah like, I have to think about my kids and what they look like. Yeah, and you know, yeah. one thing I'm going to say that I'm going to say about him is that he owned that shit and he said it doesn't mean it's not problematic. Right, right, right. That it. And a lot the problem that I have with a lot of black men when I, when colorism is brought up, when we talk about these very real phenomenons is immediately it's like, no, no, I think you're beautiful or there's like immediate gaslighting, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. Th- that doesn't help anyone. And it just makes me think that you're lying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I feel like that's the case with most things is like, if you're not even willing to approach it, right? Like if it's, if it's buried so deep in your subconscious or like you, you don't have it in you to say it point blank, like that's so much more frustrating than someone that's willing to be like, Hey, this is fucked up, but this is, this is why I'm operating the way I'm operating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say to answer the second part of your question, kind of how that made me view myself, I will say that because of being in those middle school years of feeling like I wasn't pretty or my hair was too big or things mm-hmm. like that, um, I then kind of, you know, you form a, a shield. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I, I even, I found myself subconsciously seeking out friends who were lighter skinned who were that's what I was literally about to ask you your friendship right. yeah, and, the yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and seeking out those girls because okay if I'm not quote unquote pretty then I'm adjacent to beauty and then I can still have these social interactions with the boys that I want to even if you know I'm I don't want it it's not going to be romantic mm-hmm. also like I don't know my mama wasn't gonna let me do shit anyway so I don't even know why <laughs> was thinking right. something was gonna happen but right. you were in middle school you know. <laughs> right like my mom was not letting that shit go down yeah but I will say that I found myself doing that and something that I found really interesting just in in regards to the previous episode that I listened to um that you did with Greg Julius and Yub is that I had to interrogate attraction and what that meant for me at a very, very young age. So when I was listening to them be like, oh, I was 16, I was 17. It's like, oh shit, I was doing that at nine, at 10. Yeah. yeah. Because I had like, black girls are told from a very young age that you are not the one who was wanted. Mm-hmm. So the idea of learning that shit at 16, that probably would have been more devastating to my ego and my self-confidence had I not, you know, and this is like sad, but like, had I not heard, had I not learned that shit earlier on, because I right. do think that once I got to high school, yeah, I was like, these boys mm-hmm. are not checking for me. Right. I did realize that it was because of something larger than me, but this kind of goes back to, I think about a, a podcast I listened to a few years ago, where they say that people have FOMO when they go on social media, even though they know that mm-hmm. people are like it's not actually fun yeah <laughs> right. right 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 you know you, you want to get invited you want to be able to say no but like right. you at least got the invite uh-huh right but you still know that yeah. Yeah. this shit is not real so that's yeah. kind of what I, I would parallel it to which is mm-hmm. I knew this shit was not about me and I knew that it was larger than me and it was about white supremacy and it was about the ways in which um boys even have to perform masculinity and have to perform attraction and that tbh a lot of these men listening now y'all don't be picking y'all women based off of what y'all want y'all be picking y'all women based off of what your men's want but okay (laughs) hot take (laughs) either way i i knew all of that consciously but still when you're 13 and you're 14 and you like boys and they don't like you back you're like fuck but i do think that 
inherently I have a very calm de like demeanor. So I think I just, I took it in a way that I was like, all right, I'm not gonna sit here and be upset about it. I'm gonna call it out when it happens, but I'm not gonna sit here and dwell on it and, and stop it from making me have this experience of being in a different state at a different school. But I did see other black girls that I went to high school with struggle with that in a way in a way that felt a little bit more devastating for them and being upset about it and crying about it. And that's all, that's all very valid. Um, but that was not necessarily how I processed it because at the end of the day, I was like, look, I'm, I'm here so I can go to college. Like right. that's really what it is. You had and, a bigger goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, and I had friends, I was friends with, you know, these black boys, but I knew who they were checking for, you know, mm -hmm. to the point where I almost, at times I look back now and I'm like, damn, I wish I didn't do that all the time. But I, at times like prided myself on being a matchmaker. Cause I just knew that it wasn't yeah. going yeah. to happen for me. So I'm like, all right, well, yeah. you know, this boy likes you talk about that. Yeah. Um, and I do think that all of that, by the time I got to college, I was like, I already know the game. Like, right. <laughs> right. I came into college and I was like, I already know the game. Like, uh -huh. you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make friends and if some shit happens, some shit happens. But I do think that that mindset made it a little, to this day, I still struggle with recognizing right away that I am someone that people are, that men are attracted to, or really ever, I mean, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe many people are attracted to me. Um, yes, that. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think I struggled with recognizing that right away. So I would immediately be like, oh, this dude's just hanging out with me, he's just cool. Yeah. And my yeah. friends would be like, no, he's very much trying to get with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, mm, I'm not really reading that. I'm not really, <laughs> that. I'm not really seeing that. And I do think that was because for so many years, I had shielded myself yeah. and kind of was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get my hopes up. So mm -hmm. it took me a little bit longer to even re recognize that, oh, like men do see me as, someone who is attractive, but simultaneously, I'll say that what, while also saying that I do feel like I was sexualized by being young as well, especially living in yeah. New York City. So it was kind of yeah. two-folded. It was like, yeah. you know, and this is something that I've written about before, but, you know, a lot of people nowadays were like catcalling mm -hmm. sucks. Don't do that right. shit. It's disrespectful. Right. Um, and I have now gotten there, especially because I've had some pretty like scary situations yeah. in which yeah. I was like, okay, if I'm being followed or things like that, which unfortunately is every woman has that story. Every, I was about to say, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in shock right now, yeah. talk to any woman in New York City. Every woman has that story. And it's yeah. just really, a, it's really unfortunate. But, you know, I will say the first time I ever got catcalled, I think I was nine. Like, yeah. and... You know, and I'm like, I look young now, so I know I absolutely looked like a fucking kid when I was yeah, nine. Right, right. Um, but that that is like the culture. And what I am gonna say is that a lot of times being catcalled when you were young in New York City was a form of a social commodity. If you were not mm -hmm. getting catcalled, then mm -hmm. you were not seen as attractive. Mm -hmm. Where do you um, think that like comes from? Like that was something that you kind of just formulated for yourself or was that something that like you and your friends would even talk about? Like, where does that belief come from? Do you think? I think that it was, it was never anything that we said explicitly. Like no yeah. one said, yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, these men are not calling for you so you're ugly no one mm -hmm. ever said that explicitly right but you know any native new yorkers listening to this will like, kind of understand if you live in manhattan i don't really know but <laughs> if you live in harlem then you understand <laughs> but uh -huh. any with like, native new yorker will kind of hear what i'm what i'm saying in a sense because i'm sure you know any city i'm sure people in chicago would say the same thing it just right when you pass by i mean this is some probably some like freud shit i don't know you pass by a group of men you are a group of girls what the what do you do how do you play those dynamics yep. out yeah. yeah so it was like we would walk home we all walked home or we would take the bus together and you're in these social settings and it was like oh if you see a group of boys and it was like oh mm -hmm. like, are they gonna try to talk to us you right so like a no. couple a couple yards before you're in preparation yeah right right and then it's like oh who are they gonna try to talk to Mm. so then it was like oh like okay who are they gonna try to talk to and 
um, I always remember this one specific memory that happened to me. The, the girl who was there probably doesn't remember this shit to this day, but I always remember this. I remember I was, I want to say I was 12 or 13, like near the end of middle school and me uh, and, and two other girls, one was light-skinned and the other one was dark-skinned. We were both walking and they lived further uptown than me. So we were just dropping each other off, so to speak. Uh-huh. And on my corner, there used to be lots of young boys mm-hmm. and we were walking and it was around time school got out and there were a few boys who came up to us and was like, oh, I'm trying to talk to y'all. And I never forget the light-skinned girl was like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, you know, you got the little attitude or whatever. And he was like, oh, I'm not trying to talk to you. And I just remember the shock on her. <laughs> she was shocked. Yeah. You know, and once again, you're young, so you can't pick, you can't pick up on right. stuff like that. Right, but right, I do right. remember thinking, hmm, why is she so shocked? Right. And then it was like, when he came up to me, she was like really surprised that that's where he was going. Right. And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh shit, like it was ingrained in her that her being lighter made her more approachable. So the idea of someone catcalling her was just inherent. And the fact that they wouldn't be was so shocking. So that's kind of what I mean, these dynamics, like nobody said it, Mm -hmm. but it was just part of our like culture, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So now I have a lot of questions that are kind of like going off topic because I'm someone that grew up in San Diego in a car, right? Most places. And that Mm -hmm. by the time I went to school in New York, I was already 18 and I I don't think I ever viewed it as a positive. If anything, I was just like, this just makes me feel unsafe. And part of that was also like, you know, coming from super sheltered suburbia to being in New York and being like, what is this dynamic? Right? Like I don't understand it, but I do think like this, a thing, it's a conversation I've had a lot of times where I'm like, what is the end goal for men when they do this? Like, how could it be anything other than making women uncomfortable? But now when you're saying like, as kids, like you legitimately did stop to talk, you know, like if if I had grown up in a neighborhood where like you do walk from point A to point B and you do pass people that you maybe know or like go to the same school as, I'm like, maybe catcalling does actually have like a different end goal than just like making someone uncomfortable. So I guess like like my question for you is like, is there a world in which you see it as not a wholly negative performance of like, you know, dominating space? Like it's felt like for me where I'm like, you literally cat call me shouting out of a car that keeps moving. So clearly your point is like, not to, not to actually try to talk to me. And like, you know, that won't go anywhere. It's literally just cause like you're trying to assert yourself in some weird way and keep yeah. it pushing. But like, I don't yeah. know, I guess what, what, yeah. What yeah, is no, like, been? Yeah, no, like, don't get me wrong. That shit is absolutely what you're saying it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like it's it's absolutely exactly what you're saying. There was really no end goal. Um, yeah, I do think that it's still performance. What I'm more so saying is that it took me until I want to say maybe high school to start to realize that it that it was not good. I also think, and I'll say this that when I got catcalled with a group of women was very different than when I got catcalled alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact. Again, not super relevant, but in college, I again was super interested in this, especially as, as it was like relatively new. And I think for some like social class, we had to do like an experiment of some sort. And so my friend Kiara and I, our like question was, are you more likely to get catcalled alone or together? Right to kind of get at this, like, is it about power? Is it about like actually talking to women, whatever? Mm-hmm. We already had our our answer that we thought, right? And obviously this is a very imperfect experiment that we did, but we essentially walked the length of Manhattan and like, she was the test subject. I was just like the control. So she would like walk a block by herself and then I'd catch up and we'd walk a block together and just like tally the number of times she was catcalled, either with mm-hmm. me or without me. Obviously, again, there are so many other factors that could have gone into this, but by the mm-hmm. end of it, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was, you know, incredibly clear that alone she got catcalled way more often again could be just because like I'm hideous or something but (laughs) but I think (laughs) but I think you know I think that made like it very clear to us even with the imperfections of the experiment about how much of this was about you know um control dominance making somebody uncomfortable and then I remember like a day later we walked super late at night another really long length of Manhattan but like with one of our guy friends and there were those moments when you see like had he not been there you see the man like in the distance who's getting ready to cat call you but like he stayed silent 
Okay, so before we move on, I want to address a few things. We've spent some time discussing catcalling, also referred to as street harassment, which can be any form of unwanted and uninvited attention when moving through a public space, most commonly perpetrated by men toward women. That can mean prolonged staring, whistling, comments, and more, and can also transition into even more serious forms of sexual harassment and assault with stalking, groping, etc., It's really important to note that although we've talked and joked about the perceived connection between attractiveness and getting catcalled, harassment really does happen at alarming rates. For instance, in a survey conducted in 2008, out of 811 female respondents, 99% of them reported experiencing some form of street harassment, and for over 56% of them, that included being touched or grabbed by a stranger in public. I wanted to say that from both formal research and my own lived experience, street harassment is incredibly prevalent and deeply affects the way women are able to move through the world. It is absolutely not acceptable. All right, let's keep moving. Yeah, no, and I think it just goes back to performance, which is what all of this shit really is. Like, yeah, absolutely. All of us, all of us are performing whatever we think is right. So if you're performing masculinity or you're performing femininity, then it's like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And go back to my hot take earlier about how I really do believe a lot of the women that men are interested in are based off of their friends' interests. You know, I think that when I look back, I'm like, okay, you like lighter skinned women because that's what your friends say they like. That's what media says they like. You're performing this. Oh, your friends are catcalling. So now you have to catcall. So now you are performing this. Yeah. That goes back to this broader thing of attraction. You know, I think people don't want to hear the truth, which is a lot of your attractions are not your own attractions. I mean, I'd be willing to say none of, none of them are like, it's not a thing. It's construct. It's wholly constructed. Like there's no, there's no innate type that you have. And that stresses people out. They're like, no, 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 no. It's a preference. Mm -hmm. I prefer this. I'm like, okay, so why are all your preferences leaning towards what society is telling yes, you to right. say? If you're, if you're talking to me and you're like, oh, I just prefer lighter skinned girls. And then I ask you why, and you can't really pinpoint it. Well, it's not your own fucking thought. Yeah. If I ask you <laughs> why you seem to only date white women and you tell me, oh, well, it's because, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white area. No shade to your friends. Those those are excuses in my opinion. Those uh-huh. are really excuses yeah. because like I, I have been in areas that are black and are white and that still doesn't necessarily skew what I find attractive. Mm-hmm. I live in all white areas. I mean, some people might listen to this and be like, but it's your upbringing. I mean, like there weren't that many black boys at that school. Like low yeah. key, if I wanted to up my chances. I should have been looking at the white boys. Oh. I was not. So <laughs> I, I think a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, people know, I, especially people who we went to school with, who are very educated, know that some of these things are problematic. And I think we all know how to talk ourselves out of times when we're being problematic, but we're not digging deeper. It's like, oh, I grew up in a predominantly white area, so I only saw white girls. Okay, bet. That makes sense. But don't you have black family members? Right. I'm sure that you were watching TV. If you are, if you are black and you are digesting hip hop, there's no fucking way that you're not, you're not looking at black women. Sure. Most of them might've been lighter skinned, but there's no way that you're not looking at black women. So things like that, I, I always sometimes get uncomfortable with kind of these whole, this whole shit about, oh, well, I grew up in this country and there were so many white, and like not to invalidate people, but right. I, I see it, black, doesn't, it doesn't stop there, right? Like that should be the yes. beginning of your thought process for right. sure. And yeah. I have seen black women adapt in every situation yeah. they've been in and I see black men not. So mm-hmm. I, I have seen black, like black women are constantly asked to adapt, right. you know, the amount, the amount of black men who have told me, oh, well, if black men aren't checking for you. Like, why don't you date outside of your race? No one's fucking telling anyone else to date outside of their race you only really see yeah I was about to say we literally can't pass this moment without acknowledging the fact that like white people don't even have to think about any of this right are never pushed to think about any of this yeah no so it's like and and I would even argue that black men are are not really pushed it's like they're either already seeking outside of their race or it's just like Mm -hmm. it is what it is it's like a Mm -hmm. grab bag for all whereas you know and I'm sure a lot of black women would listen to this and agree with me. It's like, 
when I see a guy that I think is cute, my first thought is, oh, like, is he into black girls? That's mm-hmm. my immediate first thought. At the age of 25, like, I still think that. Yeah. So yeah. that's not coming from nowhere. I didn't make that shit up in my head. Like, that is absolutely something that is occurring. And I would, you know, and I, I applaud, you know, the last episode for, like, Julius and Yub and Greg going into that shit. But I almost am like, let's, like, let's let's go, go deeper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I also think it's really interesting because we can't. We also can't like, you know, leave out the the fact that men are also still still in twenty twenty positioned as the ones that are supposed to make the first move. So in having that power dynamic, right? Like they also are freed from the same things that black women, you know, have to deal with, which is like waiting for a man to approach them, right? Because there's a whole nother level. If you're a woman that approaches a man, then like all of a sudden we have all of these other things that are attached to like who you are. And as women, we're programmed to think like if I had to approach him, then then there's no way he could actually be attracted to me because if he had been attracted enough, he would have approached me. And I feel like that just lays a foundation for doubt. Um, But I do think it's really interesting. I mean, not to turn this on me, but I, I feel like when we're talking about where you grow up and who you end up being attracted to, I feel like I have to admit like that I, I realized that from a young age and I think I like overcorrected in a lot of ways. And I think it's really problematic to look at my dating history. Right. Because like since middle school, I was, you know, I was grew up in, in white communities, but I still like went out of my way to date black men or non-white men, specifically Mm -hmm. black men. Like if we're being honest, and, and, and I'll be the first one to admit, like, a lot of that was super problematic, probably still is, right? Like, still working through, like, the fetishization and all of that. But mm-hmm. part of it was also me, like, re- actively recognizing, like, if I don't make this effort, like, that'll never be something that I do. You know, at a time probably would have argued that, like, oh, white men just, like, aren't my type, which, again, is, like, an issue. But it was, right. like, almost this overcorrection um, that like, I didn't, you know, at the time investigate deep, nearly deeply enough, but came from a place of being like, I don't want to just date the people that have been presented to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that a lot of white women never admit that. So it's like admitting that. And then, and then also like, how do you combat it? Because I do think, because, you know, I like, you can fall in love with someone who yeah. is not like, that should do be happening. It, it yeah. Happens. Yeah. But I do think um, something that I realized at a very young age is that all of this, it is not as unconscious as we say it is. You do not just happen upon a relationship with someone. You know, you are in a certain area, you are in a certain setting. And then that creates these, you know, social encounters in which you're coming across certain people. And I have been in rooms with white girls in high school who have said, you know, oh, like, you know, he has a big dick or he's so cool or he plays basketball or he's this. And it was interesting because a lot of the reasons, I mean, besides the dick part, a lot of the reasons why these girls were interested in these Black men were also a lot of the reasons why they were interested in being my friend Mm -hmm. and also having to like recognize that oh blackness is seen as cool but when you couple it with desire Mm -hmm. which is something that I feel like I think about a lot I talk a lot about this idea of desirability okay so when I say desirability here think beyond the simple definition of desire desirability is the idea that our desires are inherently political because they are affected and shaped by systems of power and oppression Sorry to say it, but your dating preferences are not as unique to you as you would like to believe. All right, back to my rant. I don't think that there's no one on the earth who wants to fuck me. This is very, this is very uh, vulgar. If my mom's listening to this, like, <laughs> whatever. You know, I, I don't think that I don't think that I'm unfuckable. Like I don't think right, that right, right, you know right. there there aren't going to be men who if I went outside and I was like I want to have sex they'll be like all right we're here. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> would but not I, take long for the record. <laughs> but I think the difference between wanting to have sex with someone um because I don't think that black women are undesirable in no way shape or form I think lots right. of men are attracted to black women the problem is that when you are performing um your desires and you are performing masculinity or femininity or whatever that may mean then that is what influences your choices so it's not that when I go outside men aren't attracted to me but would those same men claim me as their girlfriend mm-hmm now that is different. Mm-hmm. Those same men take me around their boys. Now that is different, right? So that's really what 
what black women are saying, especially dark skinned black women are saying when they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not preferred. It's not that we're not desired. It's not that we're right. all running around here like nuns. Like we, we are having sex. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference is that a lot of the people, the men, you know, as a heterosexual woman that I've had sex with, I can't say confidently that I think all of them would claim me as their girlfriend. Now, granted, you know, there's compatibility, shit like right, that. Right, 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 right. Compatible with half of these men. <laughs> but I do think that when it comes to, oh, would I be with like you? Yeah. It's like, okay. And even, and I will say, this is something I've noticed about myself. Even when a man has been genuine, whatever that may mean, and is like, look, you know, I'm not in the space for a relationship right now. And you really are to me, someone who is relationship material. Even if they're being honest with me, I'm going back to what I said earlier when I was young right. and hearing these boys say that same thing. So I'm automatically putting you in the same bucket yeah. as those boys, even if you are being genuine, because it just feels like once again, to me, like a cop out. And sometimes I'm not trying to be all girls. Sometimes I am just trying to have sex. And I for feel sure. like that's not always what is happening as well. So I think there's lots of different layers to it. But I think when people have these conversations, they seem to miss the, the notion of desirability and what, what is allowed to be desired. Yeah. Like, if you, like, you know, I remember there was um, a guy who went to school with us who in the beginning of his time was primarily, you know, messing around with dark-skinned Black women and he was lighter skinned. Mm -hmm. And so many people would be like, oh my God, that's your type. It would be like a conversation that he was actively, he was like being with women who were darker skinned. Whereas you, like nobody else was getting any fucking accolades for that. Right. You know, doing something that, oh, that's so against the grain, right? Uh -huh. Like, you know, a white man, if he's only dating black women is, you know, slightly problematic. But if, <laughs> if, if, if if you are only dating black women, you're going to get questioned about that. But just like you said earlier, no one's questioning white people. Your dating history has been primarily white people. What do you have to say about that? No, no one asked you that. Yeah. No one's asking that. Meanwhile, even with black women, us saying I'm only dating a black man is also a statement. In yeah. Itself. Yeah. And, you know, I have had to question myself if I necessarily would, you know, uh, I don't know, entertain being in a relationship with someone that is not black. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just lots of layers to it, but I would say I, I thought about all this shit mm -hmm. when I was very young and yeah. it has only just, with each school setting I've been in, it has yeah. only become more apparent. Um, but I will say in college, I had more conversations with men about it, but I still think men were kind of saying the same thing. Like, yeah. Oh, it's a, you know, I grew up here or, yeah. well, there's only like white girls here or yeah. blah, 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 blah. And some of that shit is real, but also it's like black women are always asked to step outside of themselves. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think what you're saying about like the age at which you versus men have had to think about these things is also super important. I think like it goes beyond just, you know, attraction and sexuality. I think like women and black women especially are thinking about things just by virtue of facing them, you know, from such a young age that that white folks or that men just literally never have to interact with, or if they do, it's much later and it's elected versus like thrust upon them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, go ahead. I do think that that has made me, like, I'm very, I'm very well known for being outspoken and, and just saying how I feel. I think parts of me, once again, every, the way that every single Black person deals with white supremacy is valid. Mm -hmm. um, but the ways in which, you know, I kind of dealt with it, I feel like I was calm for most of it. I'm like, all right, this shit is, is what it is. But then I was like, well, y'all are gonna hate on Black women regardless. So I might as well just say what I want to say, do what I want to do, wear what I want to wear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes I will step into that like over-sexualization if I feel like it benefits me. Mm -hmm. there, will, there are times where I'll step out of it. TBH, it doesn't really matter what the fuck I'm wearing. That's yeah. a whole different conversation. But right. there, are, <laughs> there are times where, you know, I find myself stepping in and out of certain things to navigate the world how I yeah. want to. And I also know that there, I have privilege as a very small 
like woman. I have mm-hmm. a very small frame. I have a very acceptable body. Right. So that also plays right. into- There are always more layers for sure. For right. Sure. So I do think that, you know, Black women think about this stuff at a very young age, no matter what setting you're in, whether you're with all Black people or you're with all white people or you're mi- like, you're thinking about all this shit all the time because mm-hmm. you're so othered consistently. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So then that brings me to my question about, because we've talked a lot about like the dynamic with men. I'm curious, um, you know, if you sought out relationships specifically with, you know, dark-skinned Black women versus how you sought out relationships with lighter-skinned white or not lighter-skinned white women, lighter-skinned women in your youth. Like, if you realize that and, like, made a conscious effort going into college, like most people do, to, like, do something different, or if just, like, knowing that you were surrounded by women, like, you were more, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, just just how did that play out? Yeah, I think that um, when I went into college, I was more so trying to combat the overt whiteness I had in high school. So I more so was more conscious about only really wanting majority Black friendships. Um, not, I mean, not that I didn't have white friendships. I mean, I was an English major. You just, you have yeah. <laughs> Like, if you miss class, there's not going to be another black person who's giving you the fucking notes. You need to (laughs) ask some, ask a white girl, give you the fucking notes. So, you know, I made friends with these girls, but I would say my close friendships were mostly black women. And I will say that I didn't start to notice that a lot of my black female friendships were mostly with lighter skinned women until like later on in college okay yeah but I definitely was peeping shit more so if you know walking down the street because once again you're still in New York City it's going back to the themes I was saying earlier you know I would be walking with my lighter skinned friend and she might be catcalled more than I would get catcalled now I'm in college so now I got the words so I'm like colorism and this and this and this and I'm like rattling off all the words and I will say this some women seemed like, oh, I don't, or, oh, I don't know. Like, then I was like, huh. you're out, <laughs> not, like, huh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not fucking with it. I'm not dealing with it. Yeah. I think that, that leads perfectly into the next question, which is like, what are your absolutely nots then? What are some things that people should absolutely not say, do, believe, be ignorant about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you should absolutely not invalidate a Black woman's experience anytime she talks about it. So if a black woman is talking to you, no matter who you are, white man, like black man, whatever, white woman, if a black woman is saying, this is how it is to be me in wherever I am, and this is how it's been hard, do not, do not be like, oh, well, actually, have you ever thought about it this way? (laughs) You're getting punched. (laughs) Like, that's kind of where I am now. If someone, if I say something and someone's like, but have you thought about it this way? And look, it's not that I don't want to think about different perspectives, but if you as a Black man are telling me, have you thought that maybe people don't like you because you're intimidating? I'm going to fight you. That's yeah. it. Like yeah, that, you're like, okay, you want to see intimidating? Word. We can do that. <laughs> now I'm going to solidify all the thoughts that you have of me in your yeah. head already. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to solidify that by now hitting you. So. Yeah. I don't condone violence. I don't hit people. I'm actually like really nonviolent, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, metaphorically, I will say my next absolutely not, um, is more specific to colorism because I think that that is just a whole thing. Anyone listening to this, if you are trying to like talk to a dark skinned person, whatever gender, race, whatever, do not do not call them any type of fucking food. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you came, you ran into that one black girl that was like, I love when people call me chocolate. Don't do it. Like, you know, she'll get there. Give her time. But, like, do not do not call me chocolate. I think I think the best uh, the best one was when a white boy unprompted usually happens unprompted said to me. Um, you know what? You know, I'm the milk and you're the coffee. Ugh. It's like, don't do that. Like okay, that's a that's a literal punch. <laughs> I just looked at him. I was like, bet, I don't even like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I absolutely not. Like just steer away from 
food items. I mean, that seems like you shouldn't have to say it. It's wild that you do, but like, do you, do you make other, any other humans into food items? Like that just seems like a pretty easy thing to avoid doing, you know? It happens so often. Yeah. I will say that now that I'm getting older and people are getting quote unquote woker, now I'm just getting like, oh, your skin is so beautiful. I can't get that mad about that. But I am like, is this the, is this yeah, the deviation yeah, yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's so I, I think those are my um, absolutely nods. Oh, and then I would say my last absolutely not is if you hear yourself about to say, oh, the reason why I like this thing that is supported by white supremacy is a preference. Absolutely not. Just don't. If you're like, the reason I like white women is because I prefer them. Please stop. That's not true. That's just repetitive. I like white women because I like white women is what you're saying, which doesn't tell us anything at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that's my last absolutely not. Like, don't say something as a preference if you have not fully interrogated why and you don't have a reason for it. It's hard to go against the grain. It's hard to question your attractions. It's hard to, you know decenter men when we're all taught to center men mm-hmm. you know it's hard to not invalidate you know people specifically black women when they say shit that makes you feel like you're being attacked like it's it's really hard to to go against the grain and mm-hmm. actually not do these things mm-hmm. but you need to do them <laughs> yeah you got to do it i have found that for myself clarity and knowing that shit is fucked even though sometimes I'll be like damn I wish I was ignorant just for like (laughs) like, (laughs) you know there are there are times where I'm like no I need to question this you know and I need to figure out why I feel this way about this certain thing or why I'm gravitating towards certain men as opposed to other men and I'm still doing that's a lifelong process that's that's the thing about all of this you know, I can sit here and I can talk about this, 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 but I am still continuously and will be unlearning and navigating things, forever. you know, forever. And yeah. if you're doing it right, then that's how long you should be doing right, it. Right, 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 right. Um, and it's hard, you know, I think it's really hard for people. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's it. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today on Absolutely Not. If you want to hear more from the brilliant Marquita, be sure to check out her podcast, Don't Hold Back. I hope you leave this episode a little more willing to interrogate your own preferences when it comes to dating, but also within your friendships. We stayed focused on racism and colorism, but it doesn't stop there. It's really important to remember how many identity markers we use to other people in the name of what, if left unquestioned, we may claim is quote-unquote inherent attraction or preference. While I hope all my listeners find love, whether it be romantic, platonic, or otherwise, I definitely hope you do so while simultaneously smashing white supremacy and patriarchy, of course. Otherwise, it's absolutely not worth our time. Thank you again for tuning in, and a special thank you to Marquita for joining me, and a huge shout-out to my friend Sarah Knapp for the vocals that you hear at the start and end of each episode. Nos vemos next time on Absolutely Not. Absolutely Not.